Hi, everyone, and welcome to AB Conversations, where we will help you CFP your way out of it, a podcast where you get into the minds of a couple certified financial planners on how we think and feel about everyday financial planning questions and what should really matter most to you. A healthier financial life starts now. Here we are. Welcome back, Adam. Hey, how are you? I am good. Uh, dare I say excited about the topic today. Wow. All right. Which is, it feels really awkward. Like talking about death should not be exciting at all in any way, shape or form. But excited, <laughs> excited because I think you and I feel really good about um, like the myth busting. Like when there seems to be something that holds people back that like totally shouldn't hold them back. So yeah, people are probably chomping at the bit. What's the topic? Just tell me the topic. Well, here it is. In the spirit of estate planning, like trying to get your affairs in order. I don't, do you remember what the statistic is? Like only 15% of people have a will. It's something like oh, really low, right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, why is that? I think there are a lot of misconceptions, I'll call them. And maybe there's a lot of stress that goes with the topic for today, picking the people to honor your wishes. Like who are yeah. the people? What are the positions that you need to appoint people to, to make sure that um, when you pass away, your affairs are taken care of and importantly, taken care of in the manner in which you would have wished. Yeah, I think that last sentence is the key, I think, to most of this conversation, right? We'll talk about different aspects, but when it comes to a will, that document is you essentially documenting your wishes. When I am gone, here's what I would like to see happen, right? Just not only just property, assets, investments, all of these things, but then you name somebody to essentially carry out those wishes. Um, so yeah, that's an, number one. Yeah. You need to have a will. Everybody yes. should have, have, have a will, but yes. then in choosing that person to execute your wishes, wishes that often we've seen with, um, you know, clients with children more often than not, it's well, the oldest one, that's who we put on there by default. And that's not necessarily always the best solution. So yep. maybe I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking there and let you fill in. So that's a perfect setup. By definition, you are naming an executor, executress, same, Trix, ex, same fun word, executrix, just means Trix. if it's a female. Yes. So you are naming the person that is supposed to carry out what's in that document. So number one misconception I think I hear is that you're giving that person power to make decisions. That's not necessarily true. It is literally the person, and, and let's also be like brutally honest about this. This isn't a fun job. This can be a very cumbersome job. It is yeah. the person that is supposed to pick up every financial account in your life, close the, you know, the utility bill, uh, close this account, this credit card, this financial, yeah. and whatever the instructions are, beneficiary designations or through the will, mm -hmm. start to have that money flow through based on what is documented. That person is not there to make decisions. That's the point of the will that you have documented what you want to see happen. So yep. I don't know if that's your experience too, but I, I see that as a big misconception. The executor is not somebody that's 
making decisions. Yeah. So, so even in that sense, um, you know, wanting to name someone that can, you know, have good judge, judgment, make decisions. That's really not the role of the executor. You really want someone who is organized, yes. can follow through, keep track of many different moving pieces, right? There's going to be a, a whole heck of a lot of paperwork involved. So it may yeah. not, it may, may not necessarily be the chop if you have children, multiple children, and you're trying to pick somebody, it, it really is a job of execution, hence the name executor, um, where you're, yeah, you're really just yeah. executing on all of these wishes and actually just, it's, it's somewhat, I don't want to say it's a boring process because we've certainly seen it, it can be a, a very complex thing, but it should be relatively straightforward in that, yeah, you really are just kind of going down a list, checking boxes, um, and just moving, moving through that. So I have two thoughts. Um, I'll quickly move to the first one. It may not need to be the legal document of the will, but you certainly make that person's job a whole lot easier um, by supplementing that will, even if it's just a cheat sheet on where things can be found. Oh, absolutely. You know, your usernames and passwords to online accounts, getting those yeah. things organized and letting the executor know like this is where those are, it makes that job way less painful um, yeah. and may eliminate some hurdles. So that was my first thought. My yeah. second Let's compare that then to some of the other positions or maybe some of the other documents that go along with the will where you may need to be a little bit more thoughtful on who you're going to give certain powers to. So I don't know, I'll turn it back to you. I'm thinking like powers of attorney. Yep. So power of attorney, essentially you can name someone who can legally act on your behalf even while you're, I shouldn't say even while you're living, while you are living. So strictly while you are still living, you are giving somebody the power to make decisions, whether that's um, with investment accounts, bank accounts, it's a yeah. financial power of attorney. Um, but then even there's a subset underneath that, there's what's called a springing power of attorney that only becomes active in, you know, whatever circumstance, right? If you're disabled, or you're just incapacitated, whatever the yeah. case may be, it, it only comes into play then. Or what's called the other the other option is what's called a durable power of attorney, and that is essentially live from day one. So if I named you as my power my durable power of attorney, I'm giving you essentially access and control over my investments and assets and everything while we are both you know here and, and living. Yeah. So on the opposite end of naming that executor um, in a will where you're not necessarily giving powers, you're just asking them to execute when you pass away. But this is like completely open-ended. You can buy, sell, liquidate, buy, like the whole gamut of transactions can occur simply by a signature of this person. So you better would trust that person <laughs> and know that they yeah. will continue to honor your best wishes. And I guess we could just kind of flip that real quickly into it's pretty common then um, in the suite of estate documents, will yeah. power of attorney to also have a healthcare directive that kind of acts in a similar way. Yeah. So the, the way that we kind of have seen those documents, they're essentially, a, it's, it's almost like a combination of a healthcare power of attorney and a, like a living will that essentially says, here's, here are all my wishes right on how I would want treatment. And, you know, if, if 
the do not resuscitate, like that kind of thing. Yeah, life-saving measures. Yeah, yeah, you can document all that while you're able to, um, but then you can also name somebody to help make those decisions on your behalf. Um, so that's kind of the healthcare power of attorney. So you are you can potentially give somebody those powers, but you don't have to, right? You can just have your kind of list, your checklist of here's what I want, here's what I don't want, and then that can go on file and you have that so that if you ever end up in the hospital, your wishes are documented if you can't make those decisions in real time. Okay. Um, so before I go through, like my next thought is to give a scenario or two here where I think, mm. you know, we would want to kind of coach some people through how do you think about these things? Yeah. Are there any, are there any other appointments that you think we should talk about within kind of that suite of estate documents? Yes. But before I, before I, I get to that, there was one other thing I wanted to note on the executor of a will, right? We've also often heard clients say they have named two people. Oh, because right. They, because right, right, they right. figure, right, I'm going to offset some of this risk by just naming one person and I'll name two people that they can, they can work together to do this. Yeah. And my son and my daughter will take care of this for me. Yeah. And being the key word and that now everything all of the tedious process that we kind of listed now has to be done and signed off by two people who may or may not be in the same area, may or may not get along, may or may not have similar personalities and ways about going through <laughs> paperwork. So yeah, we would highly suggest about naming co-executives, executors, but you should definitely have a successor named. So if the first person either can't or won't act, then you have a backup that can step in to, to fill that gap without the court eventually appointing someone to act on your behalf. Okay, so thank you. I don't think that you knew the segue I was looking for, but that was it, right? In the absence of all of this, if you are one of those people that feels like avoidance or it just, mm. again, God forbid something happens to, to you in your life and you didn't have anything in place, yeah, the court's gonna decide. Like the right. state, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania here in PA, like there mm -hmm. is a process, a very clear stated, here's what happens if someone passes away without this documentation. Yeah. Um, so there, there are defaults. And I will share through experience that these typically are not the way that you want things to go. They not only are cumbersome, but they are costly, where yeah. highly suggest highly, highly suggest that everyone goes through this process of making sure that things are documented for their wishes. Yeah, yes. And so on that note, also, not only just document it the first time around, but life changes, relationships change, like staying on top of these things over, even if it's just you check in on it every year, every other year, a couple of years. We've had clients come in and we ask the question, you know, when, when was your will last updated? It's like, well, when we had children back in 1968 and the same will <laughs> is still, you know, still written and that's what, it, God forbid they pass away. Now you're, we're, we're working off of a 50 year old document, which may or may not have all of the provisions um, that we would want to see in them. So staying on top of them, making sure they are still, they still reflect your wishes um, and any changes in relationship is, is equally important. So I'll give one other than misconception. Um, I think there is certainly a segment of clients that we work with that have a little bit of a misconception on what really goes into drafting that will. 
um, and feeling like it's a really expensive process that's not mm -hmm. necessary. These legal documents should not be costly, just right. flat out, right? Yeah. A simple will that for most people is going to work might cost you a couple hundred bucks, might. Um, yeah. I, I think, and we're not gonna go there today, there are certainly situations where we suggest based on the complexity of a situation or a certain degree of assets that we're going to talk mm -hmm. about trusts and naming trustees more in line with the, the power of attorney conversation yep. than the executor. Um, yep. th those are the types of documents that are a little bit more intricate that probably take a little more customization. Uh, but mm -hmm. I think if there, if the hurdle for somebody is that I don't want to pay an attorney thousands of dollars to get my estate plan in order, you, you really shouldn't have to. These documents are not, based on the professionals we work with, they're not that expensive. Yeah. Like just and, get it done. Yeah. So, and, and yes, not you're only- gonna, You're going to cost your family more. I that's exactly- Okay. Then you exactly what I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. Even if it did cost you a few thousand dollars to get these things set up, which, yeah, in our experience- with the relationships that we have in the, the estate planning attorney world, that's not the case. But even if it was, to your point, what that would cost you, your family or your estate on the back end to now have to go through this process without that documentation, yep. it, it far outweighs the nominal cost to, to get it right on the front end. And by the way, you then can at least dictate those specific parameters, where you want to leave money, who gets what, um, rather than the defaults of the state. Last thing I want to mention, because um, this comes on the heels. I mean, our last podcast was about breaking the ice and talking about these types of things with family. Um, yeah. I think it's really important that somebody be in the know again on where you have certain things. These documents yes. are going to be included in that. It may not be a common knowledge that really when you sure. pass away and you are opening a state, you know, at the county level, um, mm -hmm. that you really are to furnish original documentation, original, yeah. not copies. So yeah. knowing where those can be found so that you don't need to file some appeal to like use a copy document, which by the way, time and money. Um, <laughs> it's just, I think it's really important to include that person, whoever you are naming, yeah. let them know that this is a job that you would like them to do, where they can find these documents. Um, and again, if that's supplemented by something, I mean, we have a process called the final financial plan. Like, let's just document where everything can be found and how you get access mm -hmm. to things. Mm -hmm. It just makes the estate settlement process so much smoother um, and hopefully does not become a process that somebody like curses you over because things just felt <laughs> completely disorganized. Yeah. Yes. Well said. So hopefully... We've shed some light on this process doesn't need to be daunting. You know, hopefully the titles and the roles are kind of a little bit clear. Um, mm -hmm. Last disclosure, we're not a state attorneys here. We are not drafting these documents, um, but we certainly have taken many people up into this process where we need to talk about how things efficiently pass the next generation. Yes. We need to make sure the documents are in order. We need to be thoughtful about taxes and beneficiaries. And this is all a part of that process. Yep. Okay, we did it. Two thumbs up today, pal. Way to go. <laughs> hey, you weren't so bad yourself. Oh, I appreciate the vote of confidence. <laughs> All right, have a great, great rest of the day and 
we'll see you for podcast time next week. All right. Sounds great. Adam, bye, everyone. All right. Take it easy. (laughs) See ya. Bye. Hey everyone, Adam and I really appreciate you tuning in. Please note that the opinions we voiced in the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be most appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, your accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to making any decisions or investing. Thanks for listening.